This episode is brought to you by the Metasearch Institute. What happens when patients' cases become too complex to solve in a typical 30-minute visit? Well, you've all had those super thick, super deep patient histories nobody's looked at in a long time and gone back through. Well, I'll tell you what happens is those patients bounce around from doc to doc without getting any answers or making any progress. These patients are trapped and lost in a maze. Well, Metasearch is here for those doctors and for those patients. Their motto is, we solve the unsolvable. Their process is rather simple. Dr. Trent Talbot, the founder, assigns a team of medical detectives, typically three MDs and one PhD, to each case. They research the latest breakthroughs and clinical trials, and they elicit the opinions of 10 to 15 world-leading experts per case. They purposefully seek out experts who will come at each case from a different perspective, the Bainesian method. Altogether, they will put in over 250 MD hours for every case. That means 500 times the amount of brain power that a typical doctor can afford to offer. Nobody can do what Metasearch does. Call 832-968-6667. That's 832-968-6667 to be in touch. You know, most problems in healthcare are fixed already. Primary care is already cured on the fringes. Reversing burnout, physician shortages, bad business models, forced buyouts, factory medicine, high deductible insurance that squeezes the docs and is totally inaccessible to most of the employees. The big squeeze is always on for docs. It's the acceleration of cost and the deceleration of reimbursements. I want you to meet those on this show that are making a difference with host Ron Barshop, CEO of Beacon Clinics. That's me. Listen, at Christmas time, I told you 10 lies about primary care in 2020, um, and I'm going to do the same thing. I'm going to tease that same show for our 100th episode, which will be coming up in a few shows. So uh, in 2021, this is a teaser for my 100th episode. Now, remember, everybody wins in a future where we're creating with this show. Now, here are the 10 lies. The first one is independent primary care physicians are soon dinosaurs. You got to work for a big can't be independent anymore. You got to work for a system or a private equity firm. Number two, there are not enough PCPs to go around for America. Big lie. That's a big one. Number three, our health declines always or at best maintains as individuals and as a nation. Next, our costs of care only rise, 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 rise. Next, COVID almost killed our hospitals. Now that is a monster lie, monster lie. There is no Superman or Wonder Woman to save us. You like I fit in that Wonder Woman thing, but um, there is actually a Wonder Woman to save us and a Superman to save us. The next one is that docs are powerless to radically reverse bad habits of the patient. Not true. We've had many guests that have proven that wrong. Next, money solves most of healthcare's ginormous headaches. Untrue, untrue, untrue. And second to last is your insurance broker or advisor cares about you. Because that one's not true because 99% really do not. In fact, they don't even truly represent you as an employer, which is violating an ethics code and also a fiduciary responsibility. And the last one is there are no easy fixes in healthcare. Well, here's what my wife says when I smile and I tell a big lie like I did yesterday. She says, for heaven's sake, she's from the Midwest. She's a sweet Chicagoan. And so for heaven's sake, when I tell a lie, 
Um, so there are no easy fixes in healthcare is what this show is actually based on. There are easily fixed solutions. They're all out there. They're just not scaled. They're not big yet. Uh, that's all coming in time. So for heaven's sake, my wife says, and I smile real big, and I have to say to Terry yesterday, hey, I had a good sleep hygiene program, and I'm living it, and she just laughs and says, for heaven's sake, Ron. So show 100, again, we're going to turn these lies into 10 opportunities, which come from episodes of learning from this show, from some of the amazing smart people like today's guests, who love primary care like me, like you, who see that healthcare is fixed, and everyone can win. Docs are employees, costs, patients, who are employees, who are voters, and population health. So the triple aim says you're not supposed to be able to get any three of these. You can only get two out of three. And what we're finding with the show is that their quintuple aim is here and it's alive and it is now. So I'm not as smart as you are if you're a doctor because listening to this, I'd have failed anatomy because me and most of my CEO buddies have ADD. We can't sit still and memorize all the tendons and musculature and veins in the human hand, no way. But today's guest could have passed anatomy. Today's guest could have passed anatomy. He's a very nice guy for a lawyer, but he's the good kind of lawyer, an ERISA expert. He helps employers of all sizes and all shapes set up their self-funded plans for health insurance. That means they risk more, but they save bundles by insuring the catastrophic stuff with Warren Buffett. Doug Aldean was counsel for nearly an $8 billion deal this year, and he's an expert on reference-based pricing. We're going to call it RBP because we're going to sound cool. He knows the games that Big's playing. We're going to talk about that today. He is a resource also to national news organizations regarding issues of healthcare and is a consultant with the Governmental Relations Committee at the Self-Insured Institute of America in D.C. And he's an advisor to RIP Medical Debt, which has abolished over $1.2 in medical debt. Doug Aldine, welcome to the show. Ron, thank you for the, the kind words and introduction, although I'd, I'd have to take issue with I don't think I could pass anatomy. <laughs> okay. Like you, I have ADD probably equally, if not as bad. So. You know what? I like to tease my bankers. They didn't have to pass the test to be a banker, but a lawyer does. You have to pass the LSAT and the MCAT. The doctor does, plus they got to pass their boards, and it's just uh, something I would have never tried to do. But, uh, well, I, I appreciate that, but no, I mean, um, definitely um, in terms of opportunities, it's just, it's, you know, getting in healthcare has been the best thing that uh, ever decision I've made in terms of work-wise. I mean, just so much opportunity. Hey, Doug, I want to play with some of these uh, lies that I came up with that we'll talk about in a few shows. The one that jumps out at me, really, that I think would be interesting to you is that your, insur your insurance broker cares about you and loves you. Um, is your experience that insurance brokers on the whole truly care about the employers? I, yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to caveat my response by saying, listen, I work with a ton of advisors, and there, there's a platform out there by the name of Health Rosetta, and, and their, their sole mission is transparency, disclosing all different revenue streams, you know, fully, honestly, transparently, really working with, with these plans to deliver great results. So, you know, I, I think if you share that same mission, um, you're, you're, in, you're in good stead. Now there are, you know, a number of advisors or brokers that don't share those same goals. So I, I think it's fair to say, depending on, on with whom you're dealing, you, you could very easily find yourself, you know, stuck in some fully insured plan when in essence, you know, 
it's not the best fit for you and you're paying your broker a significant amount of money just to keep you there. I saw a plan the other day. It was 10,000 members. The broker was going to get a $2.4 million exit fee. They were also getting millions of dollars of other fees that were undisclosed. Um, and, you know, you think you're being represented by your broker, but sometimes they're not really representing anything other than their kid's college fund. That's exactly. I mean, so think about it this way. I mean, January 1st, you get up and you've already got a built-in revenue stream, whether you do anything or not. And there's an incredible incentive to maintain that revenue stream. I mean, there really is. So, so part of the fun of the show is after the show, I talked to our guests and one of our guests who used to work for J.B. Gallagher said that he got 17 different fees and commissions that were not, most of which were not disclosed to the employer. Okay, well, let me shift subjects here. I said also there's no Superman or Wonder Woman to save us, bury the lead or, or give away the punchline, if you will, and say that the Superman or Wonder Woman that's going to save us are employers who switch to reference-based pricing or direct contracting or digital-first virtual care. Would you agree with that statement? I would agree with that statement because employers ultimately, i.e. the paying customers, are going to drive fundamental change in the health system. And once employers wake up and realize what's been happening, you know, I, I think it is, it's, it's a revolution unlike anything we've ever seen. Um, it's, it's happening so fast right now. I don't know if C-19 is accelerating it or just the ever-increasing premium increases are, are uh, increasing this or the fact that Walmart has now adopted centers of excellence and reference-based pricing. Most of the Silicon Valley well-known names are addressing uh, this issue with the same solutions. So, uh, you know, there are thought leaders out there in employment, the employer's world that are leading the charge, but it's taking a long time for the rest of America to wake up. Why, why is America asleep, Doug? You know, I, I think, I, let's just backtrack just a second there. I do think COVID-19 has accelerated change, you know, precipitously simply because conversations that I'm having now, seven months ago, I never could have had. And it's a lot of it is being driven because hospitals are on the precipice of insolvency. I mean, I think I read a statistic the other day where 50% of hospitals by the end of the year are going to be operating in the red. So cash is king and reference-based pricing, depending on where you are in the cycle, uh, you can actually build a business around it. I mean, with a direct contract, um, because when you add in a level of certainty, a fair level of reimbursement, no co-pays, deductibles, and payment within 15 days, I mean, that's something you can actually build around as opposed to playing the, you know, three-card Monty charge master game. Um, but I think in terms of your specific question, why a lot of employers are a little bit behind, you know, I, I, you know, healthcare is, is to me analogous to that first gazelle who crosses the Zambezi where you've got the, the crocs. The first one that makes it safely, the whores come across. And, and I think that what we're seeing in the marketplace is that a lot of these employers that are adopting some of these different strategies, implementing DCP and their self-funded plan, direct contracting, that it's actually working and it provides significant cost savings. Because I mean, think about this, Ron. If you're a CFO right now in the fourth quarter at a Fortune 500 company or, or a mid-market company, your sole purpose is maintaining P&L. You gotta preserve P&L. What's the easiest meatball pitch on, in your budget? Healthcare. And, and I think people are literally waking up, like you said, at exponential rates and realizing, wait a minute, I mean, there's something that I can actually do here 
as opposed to, you know, reducing workforce, laying people off. Because um, I mean, that, that has such a significant impact on, you know, morale, families, et cetera. And you can change it um, by being a little bit smarter and, and, and doing what's right. I love the analogies of the gazelles and the three card money. I use it all the time. Let's talk about three-card money with pharmacy benefit managers. That is a deep and wide subject. But if you had to summarize, like on the back of a postage stamp, the games that are being played with pharmacy benefits, um, how would you talk about that to employers that aren't aware of the games and the three-card money going on? I think you can summarize. I mean, if I were PBM, the acronym is Programs Bilking Millions. I mean, you could say billions, but I mean, if 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 you are not paying attention to what's happening and if you're working with an express scripts or a CVS and I forget who's even affiliated with the different insurance carriers anymore, um, you are doing such a disservice um, to your plan and particularly as a fiduciary, because I, I would almost bet my, my right arm that there are ways in which you are significantly overpaying uh, to that PBM. And you, you just have got to go into the hood with, with the right individual, analyze that claims data, and, and get to the bottom of it. You know, so, so if you put together a program of different kinds of drugs, a formulary they call it, um, again, the same client with 10,000 employees, we looked at their formulary. They spent last year $12 million on meds. And with just a change in the formulary, $2 million. It's too, again, deep or wide a subject to get into on one show for one you know, what we, that's, a, that's a show into itself. But uh, taking $10 million off the table, you know, that is, you got to make 30 or 40 or 50 million with the EBITDA 10 or 20 or 30% to get down to $10 million savings. Well, okay, so let's talk a little bit about reference-based pricing. You have now helped self-insured companies go to reference-based pricing. What are some typical savings? I and mean, we've talked already about pharmacy, we've talked about hospital and charge master. What are some other savings or what percentage savings are self-insured plans seeing in the ranges from what you've um, gleaned in the last several years? All right, let's, let's, let's talk about reference-based pricing in, in, in two veins. Okay, first is I personally think you don't have, if you're a self-funded employer, you don't have an alternative but for reference-based pricing. And the reason I say that is because if you, if you look at a hospital's financials, What's happening as a result of the MLR, okay, the, the medical loss ratio, is hospitals are turbocharging their rates relative to their costs. And you can look at a snapshot of a hospital's financials and look at, at the rate they're increasing their charge master while their costs remain relatively flat, okay? And so you just, you think about it. I mean, if you're a full, in a fully insured product, the insurance carriers are just meeting the, the hospital as they increase their charges. The premiums get passed off to the employees and it's, it's cost shifting in the, in the traditional way. So if you're not doing bottom up pricing in this environment, okay, you, you just, you're, you're going to, you know, see, it's an unsustainable model. That's the reality of it. So we, we had a guest of surgery centers of Oklahoma, and that is reference-based pricing on its very surface. It, uh, essentially what that looks like is you're listing the cost of every surgery. You're listing the cost of every procedure, all the MRIs and all the imaging, right? So it's, there's a price that you can reference and it's it's contracted, it's agreed on ahead of time. So there's no gotchas, no surprise billing, no no secret deals and smoky rooms. It's very clear, it's 
It's a, it's like a retail price in a store, right? That's exactly right. And so, you know, with that being said, I mean, if you look at a hospital's AGB percentage, okay. And that's, again, that's something that's publicly posted on their website. And I know a system, for example, in Ohio, their AGB percentage is 11%. Now AGB is all claims divided by all payments. So Medicare, Medicaid, self-pay, commercial, okay. Just it's the easiest formula. All, all claims submitted for payment versus, you know, all claims um, paid. And when you're talking about 11%, that number is a, is a number the hospital can live with. So if, you know, if you're paying pursuant to a 50% discount, okay, you're overpaying significantly. So when you talk about the specific savings, I mean, you can take a four million because a lot of times what will happen is in reference-based pricing there'll be a run out. So you know there's some balance billing, there's some noise. They want the, the self-funded plan wants to move to a different arrangement, um, and there'll be a run out of claims. So I'll take those claims uh, and we'll resolve them. Hopefully you can turn it into a direct contract, which will solve everybody's problems, which I think happens for me probably 25 to 30 percent of the time. Um, but the savings, I mean, so you take 4 million that you can resolve for 665,000 and the hospital's happy with it. So it just gives you an idea in terms of how bloated um, and hyperinflated those charge master rates are. The savings are absolutely huge. Um, I want to talk at 10,000 feet about hospitals. Um, look, I'm not an economist. You're not an economist. We're just two guys that care about care. They're getting proper care at a fair price, but um, it seems to me that the hospitals continue to use bond money to build more facilities, more shiny buildings. They don't pay taxes. 70% of our nonprofit, they don't pay taxes locally, state, federal. Um, they're very, um, they're getting a hell of a free ride and they're usually the largest real estate owner and the largest employer in most metros. Here, here's my question. If you look at all these new shiny, gorgeous buildings, they've got to put heads in those beds. And with virtual care taking over more and more visits, with on-site clinics, we've talked to a lot of people in the, on the show that are doing more and more on-site clinics. There's millions of patients now that are going uh, to clinics at their own location that don't need to go to a hospital if they've got good primary care. So essentially, the machinery that's feeding into the hospital is, is going to start slowing down rather dramatically. And people already know that hospitals can be a dangerous place because if they did know about hospital acquired infections being the third leading cause, now COVID has made perfectly clear that hospitals may not be the totally safest place to go right now. Do you think that hospitals are overbuilding and are going to hit sort of a nadir or a Rubicon? They're crossing a Rubicon and they're just building so much cost structure in that they can't uh, go backwards and, and uh, recover? I do. I, I absolutely do. And the reason I think that is I think about the model and the model is sick care. I mean, it's not designed, I mean, it's designed to feed the beast, okay? And I honestly, I think that because of the, you think about the different policies that have been implemented in terms of, you know, payments, payment mechanisms, you can, you can get the surgery at an ASC as opposed to an inpatient, um, you know, procedure. I, I think hospitals honestly are gonna be dinosaurs. I mean, in their current fashion, because when you think about what were hospitals, 50, 100 years ago, there were literally were place, places where people went to die. That was it. And when you look at what it is now, um, it's designed to, like you said, to feed the beast. It's sick care. 
um, your booking revenue, it's uh, honestly, it's the corporate practice of medicine is really what it comes down to. When you own all of those different physicians, um, you are controlling everything. No, no, here's the complicating thing is your children, how many kids you got, Doug? I, I have four. Okay, so your four kids were born probably without a midwife in a bathtub, probably born in a hospital. That's right. um, if you have a grandmother that you loved or grandpa, you, they probably passed in a hospital. So, you know, we have this love feeling or this emotional feeling. They delivered good care. They delivered our baby. They took my, you know, they took them out nicely. Um, and it's hard to get mad at hospitals. And I'm not mad at hospitals. I'm not upset with hospitals. I'm just like, when I see darkness or evil, I call it out. And I think a lot, most people that work at hospitals are good people. It's, we're, not, we're not demonizing hospitals. We're just demonizing the game that's being played. And, and here's the worst game, Doug, I think. I want to hear your opinion. They now own 70% of all primary care physician practices, and they've got offers on the table. And so do insurance companies and so do private equity. But they're putting offers on the table for primary care physicians to come join their system because again, as you say, it feeds the beast. You know, it's, it's the meat and the it's meat It's a referral grinder. source, exactly. It is. I didn't know until I'd studied this, 70% of all urgent care are owned by hospitals. So again, they're tremendous referral systems for high paying customers. They're all insurance based that are going to urgent care for the most part. So I, again, I'm, I'm not anti-hospital. I don't think you are either. I just think the machinery that's become hospitals has um, grown quite dark. You know, and I, th I would agree with that 100%. And I think that when you really think about it, think about Wall Street. Okay, Wall Street has referees. They have the SEC. They have FINRA. Arguably, if, if you know, um, oh, Jamie Dimon, he works for what, Citibank? Um, if something is going wrong, there's a place people can go, investors can go, and you can get some type of relief. Healthcare doesn't have that. I mean, you think about hospitals as an example. Who oversees the not-for-profit hospitals? The IRS, okay? And when you look at market conduct of, of certain not-for-profit hospitals, again, I'm not a hospital hater, okay? But the market conduct that you see in, in the marketplace, all right, is absolutely awful. And there's no, there's, no, there's no referee. There's nobody there monitoring the store. Can you even do that, you know? I mean, you've got people being sued who qualify for financial assistance, and it's just, I mean, it is as bad as it gets. Yeah. And there's, there's some many, much worse than others. Um, uh, well, let's shift gears a little bit and talk about this one, the costs only rise. Again, we've already kind of addressed this, but costs are not only rising when you go with reference-based pricing or when you go with direct contracting with a direct primary care doctor or direct primary care doctor's uh, system. You don't have costs rising. You have costs actually lowering in the 20 to 60% range. So costs do not only rise in healthcare if you go direct. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's 100% true. Okay. And when I say direct, I mean, it, it, you're sidestepping the, the bigs, the ones in the middle. So we talked about hospitals. Let's talk about the big insurers. Here's what I see happening to the big insureds. And I sure hope I'm wrong because it's a run on the bank, scary scenario, but it's not dystopian. It's actually happening. And that's called a death spiral. Um, are you familiar with what's going on in Australia right now? No, I'm not. So as premiums are hiked every year, 5, 10, 12%, the younger, healthier simply can't afford those $400, $500, $600 a month premiums. And for a family, much more than that, up to $1,000 a month. And so they just peel off the employer plan and they go direct. They go with virtual care. They go with a different model. They just don't, they don't join the, the employer's plan. 
And when they don't own the plan, that hurts the employer's numbers, but they're just saying, I vote with my feet, with my pocketbook. And when the young healthies peel off, the premiums go up. When the young healthy next layer peels off, um, it's a, a, a wall of mirrors. And all you have left are the older, sicker, less healthy. And in Australia right now, their chief regulator just made a statement of last week, and he said that um, there's only three viable, economically viable insurance companies in Australia today because the rest are um, in a death spiral. Do you see that that's a possibility here? You know, I do, I do see that could be a possibility here. You know, the only, the only reservation I would have, in fact, I think I just even posted something on, on LinkedIn today. When you start looking at United and how deep those pockets are, um, the rest of them, I, I don't know. Um, they're clearly not as deep as, as what United has. But I think you're exactly right, though, because, you know, when you think about just market dynamics, you're 25 years old, you don't need a fully insured premium. You're just, you know, you go to the doctor maybe once a year for, you know, a checkup. Um, but I would, I would agree with you 100%. I think at some point, there is going to be a run on the bank with insurance carriers, which is why you see them diversifying into so many different areas, whether it's, you know, PBMs, you know, all the different things you can get into in healthcare besides insurance. So Doug, unfortunately, we could talk a lot longer, but we've run out of time. That's very sad to say. We'll pick this up again. There's a lot more to talk about. But um, if people want to find Doug Aldine, how do we locate you? You know, I actually do have a website, so it's just DougAldine.com. Um, and then I'm on LinkedIn as well. Um, I think I even, I actually do have a Twitter account, but I'm a pretty easy guy to find. And, and if anybody has any questions or would like to chat further, I, I would be honored to, to speak with you. And then um, if you could fly a banner over America with one message for all Americans, what would that banner say? Boy, that's a great question. Um, here's what I would say, disintermediation. The minute you can get rid of the middlemen in healthcare, and it can be a patient to physician relationship, the better off we're all going to be. Yeah, we know that people with a primary care relationship, it's like giving up a pack of cigarettes uh, in terms of extending your life and improving your, your lifespan. You're not, not just your length of life, it's your quality of life when you have a primary care relationship in your corner. So we know that. It's like wearing seatbelts. It's just a very common sense thing to do. Yet 50% of all millennials and younger uh, particularly males have never seen a PCP. They just don't have that relationship because the cost is frozen them out. They're functionally uninsured. And that, that, that right there is a tragedy because, you know, for example, I have a direct primary care physician. So for my wife and I, it's $185 a month. And I text her, I call her. I mean, it's just, it's the best relationship I've ever had with a doctor to be honest with you. Truly. Yeah. Yeah. I have the same relationship and my, my whole company does. And it was a great bandwagon to jump on three years ago and we've done nothing but win. Everybody wins when you have a direct relationship. Well, Doug, thank you again for your time. It's uh, been way too fast, this interview. We'll do this again, as I said, because there's a lot more to discuss and uh, there just wasn't time to discuss it all. That's okay, Ron. Listen, thank you so much for having me. I enjoyed it very much. Okay. You take care, Doug. So welcome to Just a Hospital Minute. We are adding these segments for one minute at the end of every show to tell you some of the games that hospitals play. If you know a clinician, daily calls are the key once you're admitted into a hospital. A daily call from someone with an MD or a DO outside the system reduces silly tests and overtreatment. It's like you have the all-seeing eye of God looking over your care, and your care will be quite different than if you're untended to. So this is just another Hospital Minute. Thanks again to our sponsor, the MediSearch Institute. I want to read you a note a CEO friend of mine sent me who used them 
for a rare childhood disease her daughter had. Dr. Talbot's research was thorough. He provided clear paths of treatment, and he gave me access to the best physicians. I'm so grateful for his work. That's the MediSearch Institute. Thank you for listening. You want to shake things up? There's two things you can do for us. One, go to primarycarecures.com for show notes and links to our guests. And number two, help us spotlight what's working in primary care by listening on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts and subscribing and leave us a review. It helps our megaphone more than you know. Until next episode.